How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. I must admit, every time I hear that, does it give you chills? My oxytocin levels are good. Good. Because that's what we need. We need to start off on the right foot, not, on the, the, not the left foot. No, no or the, the tripping or foot. Or the tripping foot. You all right, Tom? Good, good. Yes, it was great. It's great. And, and you know, um, I just am so glad we're, we're continuing this theme of parenting. Tonight we're going to be talking about fatherhood, which I think you and I can sort of relate to. Well, we certainly have experience. You know? Uh, Whether we're the father of the year or not is still out for That's true. Today, that was uh, that Mac Daddy guy. So what, uh, what are we talking about today? So we are going to be talking. Uh, we've got one of our guests is going to be calling in for uh, part of our show. Uh, about the fatherhood project that Mass General is doing, and it's really important. Uh, last time, you know, we were talking about how fathers can somehow and sometimes be sort of put down, like we're not really important, and we're sort of buffoons. And That's right. Like 80s sitcom stuff. Yeah, 80s sitcom stuff, right. And then the reality is it's just the opposite. How important dads really are to... The health and development of their children and as if that's a surprise i mean really you know is that a surprise to people that dads are important i mean mom's important too but that's why we have parents isn't it and yeah it's, you know team, and team it, play and it's a team thing so it's it's an i am and we're going to be talking about that i, I want to tell you about what drugs free theater was doing though because oh. we went up to vermont oh, we cool. were part of the department of mental health uh their annual conference and Drugs Free Theater presented. Uh, some of our kids were up there doing one of our shows, and it was just wonderful. Because now, Drugs Free Theater has been in three different states in okay. New England. So Vermont, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. And then I got a chance to talk with all these folks uh, in the Department of Mental Health and all the care providers in Vermont about the I Am approach. Awesome. And it was so well received and there was this one guy who who was applying it immediately you know asked a question and the question was really about one of his patients who had all this anger and so much anger what they really wanted to do was make other people afraid that's what they wanted to do and how do you use the im to address that and of course you know if, if you remember um anger is the fight branch of fight flight and so with anger, what we really are trying to get someone to do is change. Right. Either stop doing something, start doing something. But ultimately, if, I mean, how much do you like being around angry people? Right. So this, this individual, all he wanted to do was make people fearful of him? That is apparently what, what his therapist was saying. And so... Do you uh, follow that diagnosis? Is that, I mean, obviously you haven't seen this patient, but... No, it's, is there something more to it? I mean, well, 
Uh, Usually anger is, is, you know, you're trying to make someone change, so you're right. try, trying to make them change from being safe to afraid. That's exactly right. Why? And the question, well, the ultimate thing is to use the I am, right, the four domains, figure out, okay, so was stuff happening at home when you were growing up? Was stuff happening in the social domain, the rest of the world? Right. Was stuff happening in your biological domain? Because uh, sometimes, you know, we, we do know that some people have certain, you know, increase in, let's say, testosterone or, or cortisol or other things, they can increase anger. Or the way you saw yourself, the way you think other people see you, the IC domain. But ultimately, what happens with anger and the fight branch is that you try to make other people afraid of you. And what actually happens is you wind up alone. Right. And that was really the question that I was asking this person to wonder about. What is it going to be like for you? You can ask, you know, it said to this, this guy who's asking the question, you might want to just, just ponder with your patient, what is it going to be like when you're alone? Because that ultimately is what happens. If you are that angry all the time, you will wind up alone. Right. Because people don't want to be around that. It's, it's very, you know, it's fearful. It's terrifying. And that, of course, leads to a whole other question about who we are as social animals and how sometimes our self-image is such that I would rather create the rejection before somebody does it to me. So I'm going to drive you away right. before you can abandon me right. and just continue... Uh, to sort of um, emphasize and validate that I am worthless. So that was, you know, something. But what was really lovely was that how many people immediately understood what the I am approach is really about and how people can use it. And, you know, just to remind people, you know, the I am is saying we're always doing the best we can. It's our current maximum potential. This is who I am because I matter. And I'm influenced by four domains, my home, my social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and the I see. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? These four domains interact all the time, but I believe that we adapt to them. We change. We evolve in response to them. But we're always trying to be the best we can, even if we're not always successful, even if we don't like it, even if we don't think we can condone it. But rather than judge ourselves and other people as less than and broken, let's look again at why we do what we do based on the influence of the domains. And think about those words, look again. Again, look. Again, to repeat something, look like a spectator. The I am is saying, let's respect why we do what we do. And when's the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect? Can't do it. You can't do it. You can't. The brain doesn't work that way. Respect leads to value, which is what everybody wants. Value leads to trust. And with trust, you can make these mistakes. And you can be who you are without fearing that you're going to be judged as less than and broken. So what's, what's really cool about it is that it is such an easy approach. And it's so quickly understood that you can use it every day starting right now. Right. Welcome, Dr. Levy. We are Welcome, so doctor. delighted to have you here. Assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, 33 years of working with men and dads. So welcome. Okay, thank you very much for having me. It is delightful. Tell us, tell us a bit about what's going on with, with the Fatherhood Project. That's what we're going to be spending time about. Okay, uh, the, the uh, 
Fatherhood Project, I, I founded it about uh, five years ago um, to uh, improve uh, child outcomes by encouraging dads to be uh, active, knowledgeable, and emotionally engaged with their children. Now, I didn't originate this idea, but it is an idea whose time has come because uh, the culture has changed, society has changed. Uh, now both parents work, and um, uh, fathers spend much more uh, frontline caretaking time with their children of all ages. So they are frontline parents, and many, many of them don't have the skills, never really thought of themselves when they were growing up as uh, active frontline parents and have to learn uh, skills. And that's what we do at the Fatherhood Project. We have uh, different uh, programs, training, and uh, research all aimed at uh, encouraging uh, dads to be uh, emotionally engaged with uh, with their kids. And, so, and are you finding that, that, that it's a surprise to, to men that, that this will be a role for them? Um, yes, a lot of them say uh, I never I never knew that I uh, I would be taking care of my children. Uh, one um, father was actually scared to be alone uh, with uh, with his son. Wow! Uh, oh, always asking his wife to be there, and then after he went through one of our programs, our dads and kids programs uh, in uh, Revere, actually. Uh, he would ask his wife to leave the room because she was interfering with their uh, their playing and their good time. So fathers are eager, I would say. They they recognize the need to step up. Um, the younger men just have as part of their identity now being active fathers. Um, when I walk the uh, city streets, um, I see fathers with one child on their chest and the other... Uh, in his uh, hand, holding hands, and uh, these were scenes that we only used to see with uh, mothers, women, and uh, it's much, much more common now. Feminism was very successful. Women went back to work so they could express other sides of themselves in the workplace, and that leaves uh, fathers sometimes uh, voluntarily and sometimes by obligation uh, taking care of uh, of their children. So is that when this all began? This this fathers movement was around the same time as the um, the women's women's liberation, if you will. Well, two things happened. The economic circumstances uh, changed, so that uh, it's very hard for families to uh, to live well with one salary. There are exceptions, but. Generally speaking, that's the case. Uh, I would say that started in the in the 70s, um, and then once women were really established in the workplace, which they clearly are now, uh, and have been for I don't know, maybe 20 years, let's say 25 years. Uh, that's when uh, the fatherhood movement uh, uh, emerged. And the idea of fathers as nurturers has grown and grown. And research shows, this is very interesting 
to me anyway. I don't know about everybody else. But a woman uh, a researcher named Catherine Dulock at Harvard Medical School um, showed that in mice, male mice have the same brain circuitry for nurturing that female mice have. But you have to use those circuits in order for them to be activated and strong. If you don't use them, you lose them. And and the uh, um, the capacity uh, never develops. And and yet in female mice, it's just being activated because they're female. Uh, in female mice, they're activated um, because there's a long history of, uh, of female mice uh, nurturing and. Uh, uh, genetically, that's the inheritance from uh, from their ancestors. So, how did how did you get interested in this? You've been doing psychiatry for many many years. When did your interest turn towards dads? Well, uh, there were there are two things uh, that are most uh, influential for me. Um, one is it's my belief um, that. Uh, our inner cities are not going to be healthy and strong uh, without fathers being active in the families. In fact, I I would say, and this is a public health term, um, that um, uh, fathers are a social determinant of health, so that when fathers are engaged in families, child outcomes are much better. when they're engaged in the prenatal period in obstetrics, uh, maternal and child health, uh, reproductive health uh, improves, and um, families generally just do much better when fathers uh, fathers are engaged. So there's a social analysis uh, that I'm interested in, and I wanted to promote father involvement. And then the second thing is my my two children who. Uh, have been uh, and in certain ways continue to be uh, the center of my life. They uh, they got older and they uh, they were launched. They left home. Mm-hmm. So uh, starting the fatherhood project is a nice way for me personally to stay involved with uh, fatherhood. Huh. So that is wonderful. So you're doing this in in part because there's there's a a desire a caring to just just remain a dad or or help other dads be the dads that they can be yeah that's absolutely uh, both both are true uh yes absolutely i mean there's nothing more satisfying actually than uh, seeing the transformation of a father from either as i in the earlier example uh move from being scared to being active and comfortable or some of our other programs like dads in recovery now parents in recovery uh this is a a group program that we have um and sometimes when dads go through our program they are transformed they understand skills they change their ways of relating they want to be re-engaged with their uh, with their children, and uh, they have these tearful uh, moments, and mm. they're they're really tra- transformed, and their lives are enriched. 
so the, that's what's most satisfying to me when I uh, when I see someone that goes through that um, process. Why do you think that that dad that, that this whole idea is evolving? Because you know, one of the things when when we were emailing each other, talking about you know the evolving role of fatherhood in the culture. Yes, for me, it, it I must admit it's it's wonderful that that we're paying attention to it but it's sort of baffling as well that we would need to well you you just said it last week you know you were talking about your father and how important his medicine was right well, that's that true medicine was more important than family yeah than in I theory, was. right yeah and it wasn't long ago that um you know the father would come home he'd read the paper he'd you know do what he needed to do and brought home the money yeah. Right, and that was that was that was his role. So I find it fascinating because we, a lot of the fathers of our generation didn't have a role model to look up to as to how to be an active, engaging father. That's true. I mean, we had a different kind of role model: right. someone that was there and someone that was sort of authoritarian, and you didn't want to mess with, but not necessarily were intimately close right. to. So is that is that right. what you're finding? In the father I had, project, I had the same. I had the same father. Uh, huh. You know, the, the in the fifties, the definition of a good father was uh, someone who was faithful, present, and um, a good provider for the family. There was no expectation of uh, father being, you know, very actively emotionally engaged with the kids, and uh, and and we accept. We accepted that, and uh, as I said, there's been huge social change based on uh, economic changes, I think, and uh, the feminist movement, and fathers are learning, and they're very eager. Uh, they're learning how to be uh, good parents that uh, often includes being nurturing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's exciting, and uh, yes, it's new, and... Um, you know, men or boys in my time never grew up uh, a babysitting, so we didn't really understand anything about taking care of others uh, in a personal way and being nurturing. So that, uh, for many people, that had to be learned. That is true. And, of course, the thing that comes to my mind is, you know, the evolution from the hunter-gatherer, where, right. you know, there you were out hunting, and you probably didn't want to have your kids along. For any number of reasons. But do you think, yeah. I mean, it, does it really go that deep into us? I mean, isn't there part of us that is a nurturing human being as part of being a dad, too? Well, uh, it's, it's there. It's in us. It's a part of us if we want to express it, if it becomes important enough to us, if it's part of our identity uh, to be that way. And... The norm is increasingly uh, uh, like that. But, um, you know, our friend Sigmund Freud said men have to prove themselves every day and uh, prove their masculinity. So uh, the way to prove your masculinity until recently was not uh, by being nurturing toward your children, by feeding babies, uh, for example. So that's that's changed and the whole concept in the culture of masculinity has changed it's all 
Uh, it's all in flux at the moment. Even gender is in flux, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, the meaning of masculinity or how to be a man, uh, I think, is, is in flux. And it's very confusing to young, young men who, in my opinion, are not doing well in our culture anymore. The, the uh, situations, hospital, I work at a hospital, so um, women seem to be more and more powerful, more and more successful, and then there's a scattering of men in my field in psychiatry and psychology. So we older guys, we're still around, but the younger crop is, uh, is much, much, more, uh, much more feminine. So the idea of how to be a man has uh, has changed, um, and I think it's leaving a lot of young men uh, very confused and uh, without choices, uh, work choices that uh, feel good to them. Uh, you know, manufacturing jobs have uh, are limited now, and sometimes you you say to a young man. Well, why don't you? There are a lot of social service jobs available. Why don't you do that? It's nurturing jobs. And they say, no, I don't want to do it. It doesn't feel right. Hmm. But uh, it's evolving, it's changing. And um, uh, uh, the whole idea of how to be a man is, um, is, in, is in flux. I'm very interested to see uh, how this um, uh, emerges in the next 10 years. It's an interesting balancing act, isn't it? Yeah. in our society you know how can you care for someone uh how can you care for a child and still retain your masculinity personally uh, i have four kids i'm blessed i've got a, a wonderful wife who has absolutely helped but i i love being a dad it's one of the most incredible experiences it's grounding and i am i'm totally honored you know one of one of the things that that we've been talking about over the last few weeks is is parenting in general and this idea that for parent my my take on it it is much more rewarding to be amazed at who your child is than disappointed yeah. in who they are not and I, I i wonder how how do you help a dad a young man tap into that part of themselves that society has said for so long no 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 that's not your domain that's a woman's right. domain you know i mean even the word manufacturing that you that you talk about has the word man in it you know i mean how how <coughs> crazy is this right so so what do you do how do you teach folks what what what's the program okay well first i, I just want to mention that um, i wrote a blog post uh about getting to know your children and uh, gave very personal examples of my two children and how they changed me as a father and as a man as I learned who they were as they were uh, they were growing up they they were not um, uh, maybe uh, what I originally had hoped for but I love my children I love being uh, love being a father but the way the way to work that I've worked with men is uh, to teach them the concept of empathy mm. and to teach them uh, the idea that uh, children's brain development and personality development occurs and thrives 
in the context of interpersonal rela uh, relationships with loving caretakers. Yeah. So that, you know, they have to get the idea that being a disciplinarian, being authoritarian, it's not the best way to raise the children. Right. It just isn't. And I, I just, I teach them that directly and I show them, um, um, I show them some wonderful videos um, sometimes uh, about uh, the evolving brain and uh, the fact that uh, neurons develop much more quickly and in a much more complex way. The brain it becomes much more complex when, uh, the, when the role of the parent is uh, to be empathic, to understand their children, to mirror their children, let their children know they know how they're feeling, and not to be uh, only uh, demanding and um, uh, authoritative. Authoritative is good, not authoritarian. Right. So, yeah. So I do. I just talk to them about uh, about this. I just teach them what we know about brain science. And most of them have never heard it before, and they they come along for the ride with me. And I and uh, then then I ask them to tell me um, about interactions with their kids or uh, problems they feel they have with their kids and what their kids are like. And I help them uh, take the position of an understanding parent. How do these How do these men? come to your program how do they find you okay uh good so we have we have a lot of different programs and um uh at the fatherhood project and we we're not uh a, a service that has a set of offices that men come to or spend the day and go from group to group we uh, we've developed um what i consider to be a uh, uh curriculum uh, of advanced parenting techniques hmm. and we use this in various settings so i might i might teach it to uh divorcing dads in a group we definitely teach it to teen dads we teach it to dads um, in, in our dads and kids program which uh, was at the revere health center and now at lynn health center um, on Saturday mornings, dads would come with their kids, and then we'd get the dads off to the side and teach them principles of uh, parenting while someone else took care of their kids uh, for a while. And and then the now the most active program and the one that's at the moment closest to my heart is the Dads in Recovery, where we work with um, dads with substance use disorder uh, opioids, other drugs, and uh, alcohol, and we we just help uh, help them feel competent and confident about being a parent, so that they go about it a different way. And in some cases, they they need to reunite with their kids because they've they've been uh, on uh, on opioids for a long time, and they you know the uh, mother asked them to leave the house and they lost contact with their kids and then once they no longer use drugs once they're in recovery they feel a lot of guilt and shame mm -hmm. and we help them with that and encourage them to get in touch with their kids because the kids will be 
very forgiving if oh. they apologize. Yeah, I, I would love to spend a bit more time work, you know, talking about that because one of one of my phrases is, addiction is not about morality; it's about mortality. Yeah. It's just the way the brain works. Not about morality, like it's about mortality. And I, I work a lot with, with dads also in recovery, and it is remarkable how guilty they feel. And whenever they say that, I say, well, that's a good thing because it means and shows how much you really care. Mm. You wouldn't exactly. feel guilty if you didn't yeah. care. I like that. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. So, so how do you, how do these people find you? Where where do they go? Is there is a website? I mean, how do they get in touch with you with the Fatherhood okay. Project? Right. So we do have a website, uh, thefatherhoodproject.org, and anybody can email. Um, you can click on the Contact Us uh, link and um, uh, send, send an email. But I, I do want to caution people because uh, we usually go to social service agencies and recovery sites, halfway houses and um, inpatient re uh, residential uh, programs uh, or schools, um, usually we go find the dads or the dads are found by agencies, they recruit the dads and then we come in and teach um, our curriculum parenting skills. Mm -hmm. but. Um, for divorcing dads, um, we we actually do run a group. It's not active right now, but if I got six calls tomorrow, uh, I would uh, I'd start a divorcing dads uh, group. So um, yeah, that that's how it happens. And the, our phone number is six one seven seven two four zero eight zero six. I'm just wondering. Um Doctor, in, in terms of, of how a dad begins to understand what you call the emotional engagement, how, yes. how do we explain that to a dad? This is what emotional engagement is. Um, well, most dads, <laughs> most dads have some idea about it, uh, but it's, it's basically the uh, uh, to be emotionally engaged is to be inside the emotional life of an other. Mm -hmm. So it really has to do, and, and that actually builds secure attachments, which are good for children, makes them feel that they're really connected to their, uh, their parents in a strong way, a secure way. And so it, it, really, it really is all about fathers being able to understand the emotions of uh, of their children, and there are some fathers who really struggle with that. But mostly, once you point out to them that that's a critical factor in being a good parent, uh, their capacity for that emerges quite nicely. I mean, fathers are not, you know, fathers have always been uh, ridiculed for. Uh, and joked about for being um, emotionally numb, mm. and uh, it's really in, in most cases that that is not correct. So uh, they're not like that. They're uh, they we are you are full of full of emotion, and um, uh, really 
if they're thinking about it, they can understand what another person is uh, is feeling. So, so, so we yeah. we have this you know this thing called the I am approach where. We, we think people are doing the best they can uh, every moment in time. My current maximum potential, this is who I am, yeah. um, and I matter. And we're influenced by four domains. The home domain, that's part of what we're talking about. The social domain, we're talking about that, the way society views fathers. The biological domain of our brain and body, what it's like to feel something when our kid says something. And then what we call the IC domain. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? And when I started creating this back in 1982, I didn't realize at the time that, that I had taken the biopsychosocial model and added an incorporated theory of mind. You know, we can't see someone's mind, so we guess what they think or feel, but especially what they think or feel about us. Do you see that, is that something that, that we can teach dads that their kids are interested in what you as a dad think about them. One of the things that, that I say to, to the parents of the kids I work with who are using drugs and alcohol is the parents are so angry because their kid has kept it secret. And yeah. I explain to them, well, th they're keeping it secret because they care what you think about them. You know, if they didn't care what you thought about them, they just, you know, do the heroin right in front of you, but they care. So how do we, how do we explain to dads how important it is the way their kid thinks their dad sees them? Right. Uh, that's a very good question and a very good point. It is, it's very important. And uh, the, in, the encouragement, the feeling of encouragement that a child and, and the, uh, value in in their self uh, gets from a father's interest and a father's ability to see their strengths, not just their weaknesses or limitations, and the father's willingness to tell the child when they see their strengths um, is critically important. And no matter what the kids are doing, what they're using heroin or other other drugs, alcohol, I always tell fathers, uh, as you do, I think, that um, they don't seem to care about you and about the way you feel, but they desperately care about the way you feel. Yep. They want to please you. Yep. Something, something is, is uh, amiss. There's a problem, for sure, but they desperately want to please you and... If, if you can relate to them in a certain way uh, and accept their uh, drug use uh, as a medical problem now um, and still be interested and loving and encouraging, you will, you will hear from them how much uh, your opinion uh, of them matters. So I, I basically, you know, I just... I never want them to give up, and I always want them to know that they're a very important figure in uh, their son and daughter's lives. Yeah, no matter how old their son and daughter is. I mean, do you ever find that, that you're working with dads uh, who may have adult children already and are coming back going, gosh, you know, wish I'd done that differently. How can I 
repair this now? How can I have a relationship with my adult children? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes. And, um, you know, sometimes when a father, uh, a man um, is moving along in age and let's say he's in his 50s, he looks back and he realizes, I'm working with a man like this now. Mm-hmm. He, he realizes he was never a good father to his son and he's very sad about it, very upset. So we devised a plan where he would just go say that to his uh, his son, who's now in his 20s, mm-hmm. and um, uh, say that he feels very badly about it and that he hopes his son will give him a chance to be a good a good father. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very touching to the son, very touching to the father, happens to be very touching to me as well, mm-hmm. and... Uh, it changes the relationship. It's everybody. It's as though all the tension of the relationship uh, decreases, and then they both try to to relate to one another in a a, a loving way. And it's um, it's a real gift. It's a gift for a father in his forties or fifties or sixties, and uh, it's a gift to the son because for the first time the son will feel, wow, he really does see who I am. Uh, he is getting to know me. He sees I have strengths. He's, he tells me uh, he has the courage to do that, and it feels it feels very, very good. I'm getting, I'm getting goosebumps hearing that story. I mean, I, I hope dads who are listening out there know it's never too late. Right. It yes. is never too late. Thank to, you for saying that. Yes, that's right. You know, connect with your kid. So the I am leads to two rules because the four domains interconnect small changes can have big effects so in the last minute or so that we've got what small change can you recommend for dads so that they are connected to their kids were better dads what small change can you recommend for a dad well um i'll be repeating myself but i uh it's really about um fathers looking at their children a little differently um, in the sense that it's the father's job to understand the child and to let the child know that you do understand how they feel. And if you begin to do that, it will lead to major, wonderful, joyful times between father and son or father and daughter. Love it. And we had a, a guest a few weeks ago talking about, you know, ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. What yep. can a dad do to, to perhaps, if not immunize a child, you know, that's been through some some adverse experience, at least try something to help correct it? What do you think? Uh, well, it depends which adverse experiences you're talking about. I, I was imagining you're talking about... Um, either uh, physical abuse uh, by the father or emotional yeah. abuse. Let's stick with that. Angry, yeah, angry father uh, responses. Right. And fathers have to look inward. They have to confront who they are, uh, the fact that they're very angry, and um, work on why they're so angry, because they're destroying their life around them, uh, you know, day by day. And um, 
when the father's attitude changes toward the children, um, that will compensate the children in many cases, not all, for uh, the abuse that they've suffered when they were uh, when they were very young. And the last thing as we wrap up, I am also says, because everyone's interconnected, you control no one, you influence everyone. Doctor, what kind of influence are you hoping to be on dads these days? Ah, uh, yes. Thank you for that question. I, I uh, you know, I think of myself um, a little bit as a father to all the fathers that, w- that we work with. <laughs> and um, I'm just trying to... Uh, uh, I, I want to let them know how joyful the relationship can be and how if they, uh, if they try that their children will never give up on them mm. and that they can have an, uh, a joyful uh, part of their life that maybe they hadn't uh, had in the past. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. The fatherhoodproject.org, folks, please go there, learn about it, become the dad that you know you can be. We'll speak with you next week on The Dr. Joe Show. Thanks, Dr. Levi. Thanks, Dr. Levi. Bye. Thanks a lot. Vincent Van Gogh.